So I have been pondering here how to rewrite I'm going to be 500 miles to reflect the new state of the world here. Did they not even think that we have an established thing before they go and change all the rules? I mean, I think if we've established nothing on this podcast over the course of the past year or so, it is that I am perfectly willing to take an existing song and rewrite it. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Coleman and Greg Thomas. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, your weekly podcast about the largest division of college football. We welcome you to podcast number 293. That is season 15, episode 16, the podcast for November 8th of 2021. I'm Pat Coleman, editor and publisher of D3Football.com. I'm Greg Thomas. I write Around the Nation, the column, and just like about 10 other teams in Division 3, Pat, we here at Around the Nation control our own destiny. Absolutely. We control it so much that we're recording this podcast on Saturday night instead of our usual Sunday afternoon time slot because, you know, reasons, just really good reasons. Uh, But bids were clinched on Saturday in Week 10, an additional 15 bids clinched, and uh, we will talk with Jeff McMartin, the head coach at Central, his team winning the American Rivers Conference. They defeated Dubuque by a score of... uh, 56 to 7. I mean, I was just there a few hours ago. I don't have my notes in front of me, but that's that's how I recall it. Lots of games that maybe had more suspense or even more impact on the playoff race than that one. And I think you can't do anything without starting with what went down in Whitewater, Wisconsin on Saturday. One of the many Pool A clinching games on Saturday, UW-Whitewater outlasted UW-Lacrosse 13 to 7. A key moment in the game came early in the first quarter when UW Lacrosse lined up to go for a touchdown on fourth and goal at the Warhawk one yard line. The Eagles were called for a false start, which forced a field goal attempt, which was subsequently missed. And in a game where scoring opportunities and particularly touchdown opportunities were scarce, the Eagles missed the golden opportunity there. Uh, Lacrosse did rally in the fourth quarter. They had a couple of shots at the end zone in the final 10 seconds, but the Warhawk defense held. And the WIAC championship once again belongs to Whitewater. Right. So Whitewater gets the automatic bid, which of course they did not the last time that we had a national championship tournament to uh, to go for. And I, I don't think lacrosse is out of the running as we've discussed previously. No, lacrosse should remain in good position for Pool C consideration. One potential Region 6 party crasher was Whitworth. They lost on Saturday at the Pine Bowl, which helps the Eagles. Bethel upsetting St. John's next week could bump the Eagles down in the Region 6 pecking order, but lacrosse really played like a team that belongs in the field of 32 on Saturday. And remember, we've talked about this a little bit, but as a reminder, you want to be the best at-large team in your region. That at least guarantees that you're going to get to the table and you're going to get discussed all five times if necessary to get an at-large bid. If you are stuck behind somebody, if St. John's loses which is a certain possibility next week. Then St. John's goes in as the top slotted team. Lacrosse has to wait for St. John's to go in to even get to the table. Now, St. John's probably would go in right away in that hypothetical projection, but that's something to keep an eye on. And it's obviously more important, I think, even in other regions. Probably Region 6 will get multiple at-large teams. I don't know if that's still true. We were thinking that when... uh, we're thinking that before, and now there's fewer teams in Region 6, so maybe not. We'll come back to that. Why don't we talk about what's going on in the three? 
Speaking of uh, Region 6 to Region 3, um, the SAA championship game lived up to the hype as Trinity knocked off Birmingham Southern 28-27. to Trinity scored first in this game, and they never trailed, even though the teams alternated touchdowns for the entire game. Birmingham Southern scored with 23 seconds left to play. They elected to go for the two-point conversion, which I love. The Panthers ran a rollout to the right side of the field. Trey Patterson found Gentry Nice in the front corner of the end zone, but Nice couldn't quite corral that pass in traffic, and the try failed. The Tigers did a great job defending Chris Shuford. He limited the Panthers' star running back to just 73 yards and a long rush for him on Saturday of just 15 yards, so no big plays out of Chris Shuford. Uh, Trinity, they returned to the tournament for the first time since 2011. Birmingham Southern, they're going to be an interesting Pool C candidate depending on how many of center Huntingdon and Barry possibly get ranked this week and in the final rankings after next Saturday's games. Yeah, and so those are the key wins for Birmingham Southern on the season. They have uh, non-conference games. One of them was Huntington, as mentioned. They also beat LaGrange, and they played a game against Arkansas Baptist, which is a first-year program in the NAIA and is not going to be of any use whatsoever in this. But, uh, yeah, Birmingham Southern not only makes an interesting Pool C candidate, but also there's someone who could make the bracket look pretty interesting from a matchup perspective and from a travel perspective with the 500... Yes, the 600-mile rule for first-round games. No longer is it sufficient to send someone 500 miles on a bus in the first round. We're going to try doing it for 600. And this is one of the few places in the country where it might be effective. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be. I'm going to be the guy who's sleeping on the bus. When I get up, yeah, I know I'm going to be. I'm going to be the one who thinks this rule is sus. If we don't fly... Well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the one whose legs get stiff and cramped. And when we get there, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the one who's struggling to get amped. But uh, now we'll ride 600 miles and uh, then we'll ride 600 more just to be the team who takes 10 hours to make that drive from door to door. Um, if it's not bringing Southern going... 600 miles on a bus, it could be Huntington. A lot of teams all over each other in the state of New York, including Hilbert College, which decided uh, this week that it was going to join as soon as 2022. We'll know more about that by the time we have the next podcast, and we probably won't be able to talk about it because we're not going to interrupt our Selection Sunday conversation to talk about what happened in uh, you know Hilbert announcing a football program for 2022. That's very, very tight timeline. Let's talk instead about people who actually played on Saturday. Sure. Another week, and we had two more big games in the Liberty League that we need to talk about. In the first, Ithaca knocked off Union 26-7 to in what was a must-win game for Ithaca and their hopes to make the postseason. The Bomber defense was outstanding, as it has been all season, holding Union scoreless until the fourth quarter and after the Bombers had built a 23-0 lead. Ithaca kicker Nicholas Bahamunde bounced back after missing the at the buzzer last week against RPI by making four of four field goal attempts on Saturday. Elsewhere in the Liberty League, St. Lawrence nearly upset the apple cart in the Liberty League with a near miss against RPI. In the second overtime, the Saints scored but did not convert on their two-point try. RPI also scored in the second overtime, and they rugby scrummed Delano Munoz Watts just across the goal line and got the engineers a 22-20 to 20 win. 
With these two results, Ithaca concludes Liberty League play at five and one. RPI and Union are both four and one with the Dutchman's Shoes game left to play next weekend. If Union wins the Shoes, Ithaca will win the Liberty League's automatic bid. If RPI wins the Shoes, the Engineers will get the Liberty League's golden ticket and Ithaca will have to play their way in through Pool C by defeating Cortland in the Cortica Jug game. Crystal clear, right? I mean, at least it's there's no opportunity for a three-way tie, right? We've got that going for us. We do, and there's really only... I think there's really only one or two places where that might happen, which is great, because those are awful situations. They're no fun. There's no good tiebreaker for a three-way tie. There are very few good tiebreakers in football as it is because you only play each other once. Uh, we are not leaving Region 2. We knew that the pack. You know, a couple of weeks ago, four teams at the top of it, and we knew a lot of those games had yet to be played. As I was thinking about these games and thinking them through, Greg, I just did not really picture Carnegie Mellon beating W&J, let alone beating them handily. That's right. And Carnegie Mellon has kind of traveled under the radar a little bit for most of the pack season. Um, but Carnegie Mellon now controls the pack after defeating Washington Jefferson 27-11. to the Tartans jumped out early with a 75-yard touchdown reception to Chris Hughes, and they never really let the presidents get into this game. We've been watching the pack closely all year. Maybe thought Carnegie Mellon was a fourth or fifth choice to win the conference title, but the Tartans are a home win, again, home win against Case Western Reserve next week, away from taking the pack's automatic bid and returning to the playoffs for the first time since 2006, which would be a pretty uh, special thing to do here in Rich Lackner's final season as the Carnegie Mellon head coach. So that's a automatic bid that we are waiting on for next week, but we have the 16 teams that are now in. If you remember Cortland clinching the empire eight last week. Uh, and then we mentioned central in the ARC, Mary Harden Baylor won the American Southwest conference by taking it to Howard Payne on Saturday, North central finished things off in the CCIW Delaware Valley blanked Wilkes to win the Mac Framingham state won the mass It's Aurora in the, Knack. I can't just say knack. I just I can't say it because there's a knack. There's another. There's an NAC. So why did we why did we do this? Okay, DePaul in the North Coast. Salisbury wins the NJAC. Linfield in the Northwest Conference. North by Northwest. Mountain Union. Go figure. In the Ohio Athletic Conference. WNL in the ODAC. Uh, mentioned Trinity winning the SAA. Redlands in the Skyac. Huntington wins the USA South, and as mentioned previously, UW-Whitewater wins the WIAC. Hey, where are you going to school next year? Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Big school. Playoff time is coming. Playoff time is busy. There's a lot of content. There's not a lot of sleep. But we are able to do these things because, in large part, or in significant part for sure, uh, because of our Patreon subscribers. Patreon subscribers are the people who's, who have signed up to donate, I don't know, anywhere from 3 to sometimes $50 a month to help support the operation of D3Sports.com websites, the production of this podcast, and all the things that we do, such as, Greg, all of those playoff team capsules, which we now have to do between now and about Wednesday of playoff week. We do. We have, well, we know half of them. We could get started if we wanted to. I think we will. Yes, let's do that. Uh, yes, but... Also, with playoff season coming up, that means that 210-ish of the teams, of the of the schools are going to be done with football. 
D3Hoops.com spinning up. The whole D3 Sports Enterprise really kicking into high gear right now. D3 Hoops getting going. Patreon helps support that as well. And so uh, do double duty. Keep following us through the playoffs, but also check out D3Hoops.com. David Q, Gordon Mann, Brian Scott doing great stuff over there as basketball season is up and running. Yeah, I will join those guys as soon as the Stag Bowl is over, basically. Um, I've been lucky enough that Gordon has uh, done a great job over the past now several years, basically just running D3Hoops.com in November and the first part of December. Um, But, you know, this is the time of year where things are really busy. We have a lot of stuff going on. We have a lot of content on both of those sites. And thanks to our Patreon subscribers for making that happen. You can do that. You can support this website and the production of the podcast, etc. by going to patreon.com slash d3sports. And if you don't like these uh, ongoing subscription model, try going to d3sports.com slash help. And maybe that's a one-time donation might be more your speed. And we would be glad for either of those. Thank you. Jeff McMartin, tight five here on the D3 Football Podcast. First of all, uh, congratulations on the win and the ARC Championship. I get the impression that that is not the entirety of the uh, Blaine Hawkins playbook we saw today. No, it, it keeps growing, expanding, and evolving as we go. The nice thing is there's stuff that we can pull out from you know previous games to still utilize. And, and you know as we go into each team, I think our offensive staff, Coach Mary, they do a great job kind of finding good matchups and, and playing to his strengths. And, and so you, you got a good glimpse of it today but there's still a lot out there. And playing to what the other team has given you, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, you, you want to find matchups, and, and I think that that's one of the things that's really helped our offense is that, you know, we also have some really great wide receivers here. Our offensive line's done a great job for Blaine, giving him time to find what he needs to find. Blaine's really good about checking things down or moving on uh, if something is taken away. Or and bringing so, it down and running himself, right? Or running himself, yeah. And so... I think there's a lot of good options, and, and uh, Blaine's done a great job. You know, what you're seeing is a guy who started for basically five years now, yeah. and he's at the top of his game, and, and he's learned about what he can learn, you know, and he knows what he knows, and, he, and he's been able to apply it. I have never asked a coach this before, but I want to ask you about your kickoffs. You, you guys showed them like four or five different looks uh, in succession in the first half, and Dubuque seemed flustered by almost every single one of them. Yeah. You know, sometimes necessity is the mother of invention. And early in the season, you know, our kick coverage was maybe not what we wanted to be. There's some dangerous kickers, uh, dangerous kick returners that Dubuque had. They had a lot of speed. And we've been, you know, we kind of have been kind of tinkering with the, the, the 11 guys, the 10 guys. But we have a, we have a kicker uh, in Logan Sunvold that is, is really good at a, a variety, able to do different things. And, you know, those kickers, they've got a lot of time on their hands in practice. And so they can, they can, they can practice everything. So, you know, hey, work on onside. Hey, work on pooch kicks. Hey, let's work on squib kicks now. And he's great about doing it. He doesn't just kind of stand off to the side and watch. He's really involved, and, and uh, he's a special kicker. We knew what we were getting when we got him out of high school, and he's been able to really apply a lot of different things for us. Wide receivers, you talked about him, but I want to talk a little bit more in depth just a second about Kanak. Obviously, goes up and brings down the ball. And for Tanner Schminke, same sort of thing. And then obviously, hop a big day today out of the backfield as well. Tell us a little bit about that group. We're really blessed. I mean, uh, you know, we've got some really good seniors, but we also have some good underclassmen in our receiver group. Eric's uh, just been, you know, he's kind of been on fire since his sophomore year and is really good at going up and getting the ball, really good at catching the ball in traffic. He's strong. He can break tackles. Uh, Tanner's very smooth, a former quarterback, so he kind of knows how to get open. Uh, he kind of thinks like a quarterback as a receiver, which is really good. Um, you know, Jeff Herbers has been someone that's just been really special this season, made some really tough catches, caught a tip ball today that most guys would never get to. Jason Hopp, 
you know, there's a guy who great in protection, great, uh, great running the football, and he's got super hands out of the backfield, and he's a big body, so he can really, uh, you know, he can really break tackles as well, make some plays. You know, and it's interesting. We we, we lost a, another receiver, Logan Mott, in the first game of the season at 13 yeah. catches in going into the third quarter, and he's out right for the down. year. And that kid is something special too. So I mean, um, we're really happy with our depth. I think we've got some really good people, and it's exciting. Legacy Day here at Central, and I'm pretty sure the last time I was here that the statue of uh, Ron Skipper was not installed yet. Tell us just a little bit about what it's like to have that here, have the legacy, and then, you know, bring home the championship and the trophy with all of these alumni here too. You know, it's a special day. It's a special day because, uh, you know, we wanted we want to we want to keep our alumni connected. This is a family. It's a brotherhood. It's it's really it's really beyond just a team. And uh, Coach Skipper started that in 1961 was his first year, and and Coach Kak Marinsky carried that through, and and now I'm part of this. Uh, and we wanted to do something where you know we make sure these guys know how much we appreciate them, how much we love them, um, and and you know. A lot of these guys did. They played for Coach Skipper, and they understood that sense of family and what that's all about. So it's really great to be able to do this. It's also kind of unique to have this on Senior Day, where you can kind of show our seniors, like, hey, this is a lifetime contract here. You know, this isn't just something that four years and then you know, good luck and hope hope you come back every once in a while. Like, you're going to be a part of this family forever. And um, you know, the legacy of this program is oftentimes a. Uh, a lot bigger and a lot more challenging and and uh, than than our opponents you know like i think that we we respect this legacy even more than you know respect who we play each week and and we have great respect for our opponents but i mean it's that big talking about alumni i understand the guy you were talking to before me is a alum who played here is now the lieutenant governor of iowa yeah we are very fortunate you know we he such a cool thing to have uh have that in you know in our family and and uh so happy that uh uh, he was able to make it today, and, and so very, very exciting to yeah have all these guys back. But, yeah, uh, pretty special to have a lieutenant governor uh, as one of your uh, former players. As we mentioned, obviously, Greg, um, you know, maybe not the full playbook, maybe not the full Hawkins on display. Also, maybe you don't put all those things on display now that you're in the time of year where you're putting stuff on film that your playoff opponents are going to see. Yeah, we're in that three-game window of things that you exchange with your playoff opponents. So, yeah, maybe you vanilla up the playbook a little bit, keep some of your looks off the books, maybe show some stuff that you have no intention of ever doing in a playoff game. Um, But Central's an interesting case for me. Two years ago, they made the tournament. Uh, They... Uh, I'm going to call it an upset, even though it was a home game. They upset the WIC champion Oshkosh in the first round. Then they went out to Wheaton and got blitzkrieged. I think it was 35 to zero in the first quarter of that game. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see this central team. They've been a juggernaut all season. They really have not been challenged. I'm interested to see how they respond this year, how they've grown, matured, and what they do when they get into a second round game, probably against a really high caliber team. Um, maybe not Wheaton specifically, but it's going to, they're going to play somebody good in the second round. And I'm really interested to see what growth they've had since 2019. Just kind of looking around the area and around the region of teams that could be playing them. They could be playing someone good in the first round too. I mean, lacrosse is certainly, I think in a, in a position, this is they looking like there's someone who's central might be, a three seed or might be a four seed in a in a bracket of eight teams and that does not uh, guarantee you 
a particularly easy first round opponent. No, that's 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 an area where you might draw a really interesting pool C team. Yeah. In the first round, maybe from around the Midwest or elsewhere, we'll see. Could could be creative. Six hundred miles, right? Who knows? Game ball. Game ball. Game ball. It's time game for balls. game balls, and my game ball is game going balls. to Egan Hine. It seems like all I do anymore is give game balls to Whitewater defensive backs, but this is because of two key plays he made in the fourth quarter for the Warhawks as he uh, broke up two passes in the closing moments, both of them in the end zone, to help preserve the Warhawks' 13-7 to win. Hine also racked up 11 total tackles, nine of them solo, and had a tackle for loss in that win, clinching the automatic bid out of the WIAC for the Warhawks. A defensive game ball for sure from a defensive battle, and I brought a clip. They're going to get Parks on the pressure. He's going to drop back to pass. Jump ball. Knocked down incomplete. Warhawks win. Egan Hyde pressed it. Broke up the pass. Whitewater will take the victory. And Egan Hyde with another game-saving play here, Matt. My game ball is going to Muhlenberg quarterback Michael Natkowski. On the road at Susquehanna, Natkowski led the Mules to a decisive win over the Riverhawks with a huge performance. The senior lefty completed 25 of 29 passes for 380 yards and six touchdowns. Natkowski has bounced back from a tough game uh, in the Mules' early season loss to her sinus, but he's been an All-American down the stretch as the Mules have seized control of the Centennial Conference. With wins against Johns Hopkins and Susquehanna in their pocket, the 2019 semifinalists are a win against Moravian next week away from a return trip to the postseason. Venturing a little further afield for the off the beaten path highlight, and I'm going to Wayne, New Jersey, where Montclair State scored 10 points in the final 326, including a 29-yard touchdown catch by Zahir Wilder with 51 seconds left to lift the Red Hawks past William Patterson 23-22. The TD capped a day in which Jacquel Birch threw two touchdowns, each team had a special team score, and there was a blocked extra point return for a defensive two-point conversion. That defensive PAT gave Patterson a 15-13 lead going into the half, and JoJo Kirby had a 54-yard pick six to extend that lead to nine. But then later in the fourth quarter, Patterson uncorked a 20-yard punt, setting up Montclair at the Patterson 35. Montclair was able to kick a 30-yard field goal to make it a six-point game, and then another short punt gave the Red Hawks the, the ball at Patterson's 36, and Birch found Wilder with under a minute to go for the lead and that eventual win. Party on Wayne. My off-the-beaten-path highlight is coming from Westfield, Massachusetts, where the Westfield State Owls were, lurk- were looking for their first win of the season. Things were looking good for the Owls after a Danny Farrell field goal put them ahead 30-27 to with just one minute and 29 seconds remaining. That one minute and 29 seconds, however, was just enough time for Worcester State quarterback Aaron Moses-Williams to give his team a shot on the game's final play. This Owls defense looking to lock down the first win of the year. Williams rolls out to his right, heaves it for the end zone. No way. Pass is caught. Touchdown, Worcester State. Worcester State, with three seconds left, throws up a prayer, and they got it. That prayer was answered. Worcester State covered 85 yards in nine plays over the last one minute and 25 seconds to sneak out of Westfield with a 33-30 to win. We are giving you this off-the-beaten-path highlight 
you would not have heard of Aaron Moses Williams if not for this podcast, like twice in the last three weeks, twice in the last four weeks, right? Worcester State made my stat of the week last week. That's what it was. Was it just last week? Boy, I think it, it was just last week. I can't control who throws Hail Mary touchdowns at the end of the game. I am not complaining. I am really happy about getting Worcester State guys out there. Let's be honest. Absolutely. My most surprising result from Saturday is really only partially from Saturday. It's partially from the entire season. And that is the fact that Anna Maria is in position to win the ECFC, clinch the automatic bid, and go to the playoffs if it beats SUNY Maritime next week. Or maybe even with a loss in the right combination of tiebreakers. I'm not going to get into that. But for the AMCATs, the six wins they already have this season are as many as they had from 2014 through 2020. Anna Maria got there by scoring 17 points in the fourth quarter to beat Gallaudet 37-21. to They held the Bison to 170 yards of total offense. Alex Cohen, a gunslinger quarterback for the AMCATs with 346 yards a game, 23 touchdowns, and 13 interceptions. Also, by the way, if you don't know, AMCATs is actually an acronym, meaning Anna Maria College Athletic Team Sports. And no, we don't know why. My most surprising result is Morrisville State beating Brockport 13 to seven Brockport isn't a postseason factor this season for the first time in a while, but that doesn't make this result any less surprising. The golden Eagles had only been beaten in empire eight play by league champion Cortland while Morrisville state entered Saturday's game winless in league play. The Mustangs put the clamps on E eight leading rusher Jalay code limiting the Brockport standout to just 38 yards on 21 carries. The decisive play came early in the third quarter code to the left side. And he, the ball is out here, and Morrisville has it. All the way down the far sideline, Roland Bevins. No one's going to catch him. you got to be kidding me, Arjuna. There are three touchdowns in this game, and two are defensive ones. One for each team. Morrisville takes the lead 12-7. Scoop and score, Morrisville. That is incredible. Roland Bevins. Roland Bevins' scoop and score was the last and decisive score of the contest. Brockport can't wait to cycle off of Morrisville State's senior day. The Mustangs shocked Brockport in week 11 in 2019 as well. I guess I would bet that Brockport really wants Hilbert to enter the Empire 8 so that that uh, master schedule gets flipped around a bit. They, I mean, is Hilbert a, are they a free agent? Are they shopping around New York, central New York leagues? Well, yeah, central or western New York leagues. Um, they are in the uh, AMCC, which does not, uh, the Allegheny Mountain Collegiate Conference does not sponsor football. So they could be an Empire 8, they could be a Liberty League, they could be an ECFC and maintain, help the ECFC hang on to that automatic bid for dear life. Not entirely out of the realm of possibility because they already have Alfred State all the way out there. So certainly possible to add another program and it kind of would fit the mold of what the ECFC has been lately. A home for new programs. An incubator, if you will. That's not my stat. Also, not going to be my stat. Not my stat. That may be the most incredible stat. Lots of things are not my stat, but this is my stat of the week. It comes from Lake Forest's 84-3 win against Beloit, a game in which the Bucks scored first and the Foresters scored 84 unanswered which is not my stat. The stat is about this guy, A.J. Jackson. I don't know, maybe you've heard of him. Jim Catanzaro. Talked about him on this podcast a couple of weeks ago. We did a feature story on him on the site last week. What was it he said? He said uh, uh, 
returning punts is like an out-of-body experience, and he was definitely returning punts out of his mind on Saturday as uh, he returned two more punts for touchdowns in this win, giving him eight for his career in just 21 career games, breaking the NCAA Division III record previously held by Bryce Wilkerson of Mary Harden Baylor. You may remember his name. And also by Chuck Downey, whose name you probably don't remember. He played for Stony Brook in the 80s when Stony Brook was a member of Division III. So Jackson is up to 17 punt returns on the season. He's averaging 30.1 yards a punt return and his four punt returns for TDs. That average nudges him past Mary Harden Baylor's K.J. Miller, who is averaging 29.1 yards and has one touchdown in his 15 returns on the season. Why do they keep punting to him? I, I, it's wild. My stat of the week comes from UW River Falls, 57 to 35 victory over UW Stout on Saturday. The Falcons racked up 666 yards of offense against the Blue Devils, obviously. And Luke Fugate had 247 of the Falcons season high, 325 rushing yards, none of which are my stat. With this win, River Falls has set up a potential Isthmus Bowl play-in game next week against Oshkosh, but more importantly, this is the team's seventh win of the season. That's a mark that River Falls has not reached since 1998, and that is my stat of the week. If you're River Falls, you really want to play in that game. If you're Oshkosh, I don't, you know, I'm the the motivation for playing one more game in a uh, a game against Wash U or something like that is probably not the same as it is for River Falls. The opportunity to play a postseason game for River Falls is a long time coming. It is, but also if you're Oshkosh, like the opportunity to play another Division three program is probably is probably pretty nice. <laughs> Uh, that is true. Uh, Oshkosh, um, uh, a little bit short of uh, Division Three non-conference opponents of late, so uh, I'll give them that. Your categories have become tiresome. Now's the time on Sprockets when we dance. Now's the time of the podcast when we get a Twitter. We put the bat signal on, hey, we did it to you on Saturday this week, and you responded, so maybe we should do that more often. Uh, we got a couple of good ones. Two of them will bundle together, but we're going to start with uh, Lucas Mitzel at Northsider89 saying, barring chaos next week, who do you think the top seeds in each quadrant are going to be this year and thank you lucas for putting seeds in quotes because we all know that they actually exist but they don't provide them because they pretend that they don't exist top seeds right so often this is a partially geographic distinction it's partially a um, performance distinction barring chaos i think if we're going to bar chaos then i think we have to project that st john's wins the mic right yes Okay. Otherwise, that's chaos. So we got you, you give you got St. John's, you got your Whitewater, you got your Mount Union, and you got your Mary Harden Baylor. Oh wait, there's North Central, so that's five, right? Which one of those does not get a top seed? One of those has to be out, right? I think it might be St. John's anyway, right? So probably St. John's. Whitewater has to be ahead of them in the region rankings. Yeah. So th- as I'm looking at it, I think North Central and Whitewater are pretty protected. Um, they were the two teams that played in the Stag Bowl. They're ranked. Well, I'm sorry. I don't know where they're ranked. Uh, I expect that they will be ranked number one in their regions this week. And so for me, that leaves Mount Union, Mary Harden Baylor, and St. John's as the three teams left to get two number one seeds. We've seen number one seeds go to a team not ranked number one in a region before. That's not doesn't necessarily have to be a thing that happens. St. John's being ranked number two in region six could certainly get a number one seed. I think I would be interested to see if you could reasonably build four brackets around Whitewater, St. John's, 
North Central. I mean, that's three teams that are kind of clustered right around one another already. Probably not the answer that Johnny's fans want to hear, but that's that may be you. You may be in a position where you kind of have to look at Mount Union as a top seed to build a team to build a quadrant of region one and two teams around really. Right. I mean, if we go, the other thing that we haven't talked about yet is the, the tiebreaker or is, you know, uh, uh, Greg, as you so aptly put it on Twitter this past week, the whitewater rule, right? The fact that um, when all else is tied among unbeaten teams, one of the ways that you're allowed to break that tie is by taking the previous year's playoff performance. And we are, you know, projecting that they will do this with the 2019 performance since there wasn't a 2020 playoff, right? Um, and as a reminder, you know, Mount Union went out in the second round in 2019 and, you know, Mary Harden Baylor went out in the third round. So that uh, that tiebreaker doesn't necessarily favor either of those against St. John's. What if, you know, I can't imagine, I don't know who would be the top seed in a bracket where Mount Union is the number two seed. Um, because I just don't see how the map works, but I could see Mary Harden Baylor maybe being the two seed in a uh, in a bracket. Then, what if you put? What if you put? Whoa! Since this is an island, what if you put Mary Harden Baylor as the number two seed in the bracket that has Mount Union as the one seed? That could be done. Ooh, juicy! That could be done. That could certainly be done. We've also definitely seen uh, Mary Harden Baylor and St. John's in the same quadrant before. St. John's tends to get lumped with islandy teams like Island Pods. So you could see St. John's be number one in a quadrant that contains uh, Mary Harden Baylor as number two. That would make probably Linfield like a super strong number three. That's going to make for a really interesting second round game somewhere that is going to make a lot of people mad. What's interesting about Mount Union and Mary Harden Baylor this time is exactly that is they don't they don't have that previous championship protection to the same level that they've had in previous tournaments. Interesting conversations for the national committee, for sure, when it comes to picking those top four. And the other two questions we're going to take together because they're fairly related. Trevor Castle, a.k.a. Voice of the Dutch, asks, would the committee consider shipping Harden-Simmons way out of region since they have to fly anyway, presumably, to even out the brackets a little bit? And then Chad Hammonds at J. Chad Hammonds says, what's the chance of a Harden-Simmons versus Trinity first round matchup? And I think I'm going to side with Chad here. Uh, This seems more likely, right? Harden-Simmons against Trinity in the first round. And then someone flies in to play Mary Harden-Baylor. Or Redlands flies in to play Mary Harden Baylor, and someone flies out to Linfield to play Linfield in the first round. We got, we can't, you know, there obviously has to be some team that flies somewhere because now we have an odd number of teams in Texas. Um, and, you know, I think that's where, uh, I think that's the sort of thing that's going to happen. The question, the interesting thing to me is who gets on a plane to fly to Linfield? Is it Huntington? I don't know. Something like that, maybe? Could be. You know, the, you're going to have this you're going to have a scenario here with uh, with an odd team in Texas uh, this year and when you have an odd island team the options you have to do sort of whatever you want with an odd island team exist and i think those the ideas that we have about what you can do with it, like wouldn't it be fun if we had if we just planted Harden Simmons into a quadrant with Mount Union and a bunch of teams from regions one and two that could be really fun but but then you've created a situation where somebody has to fly every single round 
in that region if you do it that way, as long as as long as Harden Simmons keeps winning. Um, most likely, what we see happen is the teams that have to fly sort of get lumped into a pod and they shrink down the number of of necessary flights. So our imaginations about what we can do with this tend to outstrip the the budget for such things. And uh-huh. so we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see, but it's an interesting question. I do think probably HSU versus Trinity is the most fair matchup that you could do with those teams and then find somebody to come to Belton, whether it's Redlands again or somebody else, Huntington perhaps. Huntington would be a good, a good matchup for Mary Harden Baylor. I think that's that's seed appropriate. Remember, if you got those questions, you tweet them at us when we put out the call, whether it's Saturday or Sunday. Next week, it's going to be Sunday. We are definitely going to have this podcast recording session after selections, not before. But as we're looking ahead to next week, week eleven with games to watch, and uh, mine is going to be that inaugural MIAC title game between St. John's and Bethel. The Johnnies won that earlier matchup this season, thirty-one twenty-five, and now they need to do it again to win the conference's automatic bid. As uh, St. John's, the champions of the Northwoods Division, travels to Bethel, the champs of the Skyline. Normally at this point, I would talk about the weather and the state of Bethel's grass field, but of course the Royals poured some money into getting artificial turf, and that will certainly help with the playability of this game, regardless of what the weather is. It's been pretty good weather here in the upper Midwest so far here in November. I picked this game as my game to watch because this is really one opportunity for someone's bubble to pop. If Bethel beats St. John's, the Johnnies then go into the at-large mix and make a really good candidate with what is currently the second best strength of schedule in the nation, and then they would have two wins against regionally ranked opponents, uh, one against Bethel, one against Aurora. So if you are hoping for an at-large bid, you need to root for St. John's. Just remember that the St. John's team that beat Bethel by six in September had Aaron Severson, a quarterback, and this team does not. My game to watch next week is going to be the Cuyahoga Gold Bowl between John Carroll and Baldwin Wallace. The Yellow Jackets are positioning themselves to be a Pool C contender, but that's only happening if they can snap an eight-game losing streak to John Carroll on Saturday. John Carroll is coming off of an overtime loss to Heidelberg, while Baldwin Wallace survived Ohio Northern 17-14 on Saturday. A one-loss OAC runner-up has only been left out of the tournament one time. That was John Carroll in 2019. So history suggests that Baldwin Wallace has a decent shot at an invitation if they can break John Carroll's stranglehold on the Cuyahoga Gold Bowl, which is not a bowl at all. It's a it's a football-shaped rock. I actually was wondering, is like, is it a Cuyahoga Gold Bowl or is it a Cuyahoga Gold Bowl? And it seems like it's neither. It is neither. It's a rock. I want a rock! The roulette wheel is spinning. There are 115 spaces on it this week, and it's going to land on number 39. And in the slot of 39, we have William Patterson at Salisbury. William Patterson at Salisbury. Salisbury already having wrapped up the New Jersey Athletic Conference crown. William Patterson under former... Salisbury quarterback Dustin Johnson as head coach trying to get his team to 500 of course they uh, narrowly snatched defeat from the draws of victory on Saturday they lost to Montclair State 23 to 22 but a four and five record is the uh, you know four wins is the most that William Patterson has had since 2014 pretty decent year by uh, a number of standards um, you know we talked to Dustin Johnson earlier in the season right and uh, you know he uh, 
I remember him saying that he is always intent on bringing up the Salisbury connection to the former Wesley players who are on his roster now. Um, I can only imagine that uh, those Wesley players might be a little motivated to, to to beat Salisbury. And I have to think that there's some kind of, you know, Shermwood, Dustin Johnson, a Johnson Wood Cup or Wood Johnson Cup or something like that that uh, that we could uh, give to the winner of this game. Well, yeah, you know, the, let's see. So the Salisbury and Wesley played for the Route 13 trophy. Where does, th- does 13 go through Wayne, New Jersey? Th- uh, 13 doesn't go any further north than uh, Trenton from the looks of it. Is that right? That is correct. We could just call it the trophy and then move on. We could just mail this one in. No, it's it's a done thing. You can you can absolutely do that. Is it parody if it's if it's already been done? I mean, how many victory bells are out there? Franklin and Hanover are playing for one this upcoming weekend. This is uh, this is Wawa territory. Maybe we can make this the Wawa Hoagie Bowl. Of all the places uh, like this that I have had a hoagie or a sandwich or whatever, I'm sorry, I'm, it's been a little while since I've been in New Jersey or Philadelphia. Wawa's are better than Sheets's. And both of those are head and shoulders of above any other gas station convenience store sandwiches I've ever had. And I don't know if I'm losing people by saying Wawa is better than Sheets. The sandwiches at Wawa are better. The Sheetses themselves are better. But Wawa has the better sandwiches. I'm sorry. That is all there is to it. Undisputed facts. I'm picturing seagulls flying around and then picking up scraps of bread from these Wawa hoagies. I'm not sure that that's helpful in this regard. <laughs> There it is. The it's the it's the stale day old hoagie bread that you would leave for the seagulls, bronzed and put on a on a wooden on a wooden plaque. That's it. It's the bronzed hoagie. That's what it is, right? There it is. You've, you've got your you got it's it's a takeoff of the bronze turkey between Monmouth and Knox, and here is your bronzed hoagie. I hope they call them hoagie. They call them hoagies in New Jersey, right? Yeah, I'm no good. Yeah, all right. Okay, so. When Shermwood and his Salisbury Seagulls face off against former Salisbury quarterback Dustin Johnson and the William Patterson Pioneers, they will be playing for the Bronze Hoagie. They really should be. That's so much better than the trophy. The trophy can be anything. What is it? I want to know what it looks like. Uh, it's on the front page of D3Football.com, or at least, I'm sorry, it was, of course, and then it got bumped off by a bunch of game coverage today. Ooh, I'm going to find that. All right. Look, looks like a trophy. We'll put it in the show notes. All right, Greg, so I have a game for you for On the Spot, and I have brought a clip. Okay. It's like an audio daily double. This is exciting. Here to introduce the concept for this round of On the Spot is central quarterback Blaine Hawkins. I heard that these guys are, are referred to or refer to themselves as rhinos. Is that, tell me more about that. That is, that is true. Uh, a lot of our position groups have uh, usually animal nicknames, so it's kind of kind of weird, I guess. But yeah, they're the rhinos, which I think is a good a good representation of what you want to be as an offensive lineman: big, physical, fast. And Absolutely. I think they definitely uh, you know exemplify that on the field. So. All right. So. Now I have to ask you what the the uh, offensive skill position group calls itself. So we got the wide receivers, we got the cheetahs, then we've got a super back position, so kind of the tight ends. Yep. Mostly they call themselves the Chinos, so we got a mix between the cheetahs and the rhinos. And then okay. the uh, the quarterbacks, not too exciting. We've got the blueberries, not a, not an animal, um, sadly. We wear blue jerseys at practice, not very intimidating. So uh, we're, maybe we're trying to, maybe we need a rebrand. Um, and then the running backs are the wolf pack. That's, that's a pretty solid one. So. so you got your rhinos, you got your cheetahs, your chinos, your wolf pack. 
I need you to come up with a better nickname for the central quarterbacks position group than the Blueberries. Yeah, I don't. I you know I don't like that they went off uh, off topic there. Like they had a whole animal thing going on. You got to stay with that. I think quarterbacks. I you know you want to be you want to be versatile. Um, quarterbacks, you know, they're they're sort of the leaders on the field. I want to feel like they're king of the jungle. I'm going to call the quarterbacks the lions. They're the lion group. Does it matter if the blue jerseys? Does it matter? Does it, the blue doesn't have to be reflected, right? No, it doesn't. It, I don't think it has to be. Um, I mean, what are you going to do with? You could have them in blue jerseys, but then I mean, what's like a really intimidating, tough? blue animal not a lot of blue animals out there. i mean there's some birds out there but i mean the blue whale blue whales i don't think the quarterbacks can be a bigger animal than the rhinos on the offensive line um with few exceptions like maybe at bethel you could get away with that jaron rosty's a big dude and they're blue yeah but no i think i like lion for the lion group for the quarterbacks so there you go you guys are now the Lions. I don't know if you uh, know this. We will pass this word back to uh, Blaine Hawkins and the rest of the quarterback crew at Central. They'll love it, I'm sure. All right, Pat. This week on the spot, we have three games coming in Week 11 that feature win and in scenarios for both teams. Winner of these three games is going to the playoffs. Loser is almost certainly not. I have highlighted these. I'm I'm asking you for winners who's going to the playoffs from these three games and these three conferences. So we got your uh, we got your MIAC title game as previously mentioned. Uh, the UMAC is going to come down to Greenville or Minnesota Morris, and I'm going to go with Greenville in that game. Oh, you got your Mount St. Joe and your Rose Holman in the Heartland. I feel like when we have done this previously with the Heartland in quick hits several weeks ago, did we all just take the home teams? I think we did. I'm going to go with the home team here, Rose Holman. Also, they are undefeated in the in the conference schedule. So we're going to go with that. And then, man, St. John's Bethel. This is very difficult to uh, to, to uh, make a call on. I feel, though, like you know that game was relatively close the first time around, right? And, and you know, Severson didn't win it for them. Um and Bethel busted out a couple of big plays in unexpected situations to keep that game close, to stay in that game. Um, Bethel's going to have a big crowd there. Uh, Bethel always draws really well at home. Their students are super into it. I think I'm going to have to take Bethel in this game. Ooh, all right. I think so. I mean, I just, I maybe I'm over-reliant on quarterbacks. I mean, I feel like the quarterback's an important position. To the lines out there. They are the Lions. Bethel has a better quarterback in this game. And uh, that'll be interesting, right? I mean, this, so I, I looked at this week. Chris Backus had a pretty good game at quarterback for the Johnnies uh, in their 38-10 the to 10 win against Carlton. Um, they used uh, Robbie Alston a lot, which I felt like Robbie Alston had been kind of overlooked by St. John's in the offense. Had just hadn't, I don't know, maybe other teams had focused on taking him away or whatnot. And then... You know, they still have a uh, steady drumbeat in the backfield to go with as well. But I just feel like feel like that's a Bethel game just based on everything that has happened since the last time these two teams met. Very good. I do. I that the MIAC game is 
I think that's the one spot left in week one where we could get a pool C crasher. I um, sort of all of the other conferences that I think had an opportunity to have, you know, sort of an upset here at the end of the season and bump a team into pool C that wasn't there previously. Um, like none of that has happened. W and J would have been a team that might've been in that position, but they lost today. Yeah. That's the, that's the one place where I think we might get some, some unexpected pool C guests there for next week. Last week, I asked Greg which game I should go to this weekend, given a handful of parameters. Greg picked UW lacrosse at UW Whitewater. I mean, Greg, you're right. That was a better game. I'd already been to Whitewater this season, so I went to see Dubuque at Central. Uh, even though these are about the same distance from my house, um, I think Central is even closer. I haven't been to Central, as far as I can tell, since the 2007 quarterfinals, a game against Bethel, in which it took me four hours to get there and like 10 hours to get back because of ice, rain, snow, wind, snow, ice, ice. Uh, but yes, sure, lacrosse at Whitewater was by all measures the better game. So I think you, uh, you win that one in our spot check. All right. Last week, I asked Pat to tell us how many teams would clinch automatic bids this week. Pat said eight, which was right, and then we played the other half of the day's games. And in total, 15 more teams joined Cortland as Pool A qualifiers for the 2021 playoffs. Yeah, as I was going through that list last week, I did not even ponder the mass CAC as a possibility that it would be uh, decided on Saturday. Um, I did not really envision the ODAC uh, being wrapped up on Saturday. I don't even remember if I thought about the USA South or not. Yep, I whiffed on that pretty big time. That uh, that's, that's why I get for trying to do finger math. I definitely need to do more thinking, obviously. And I've been thinking about that guy that wears number seven at Delaware Valley. It used to be Michael Nobile, the All-American whose season came to an end because of injury. On Saturday, his twin brother Anthony wore that number and he put up Michael-like numbers with three and a half sacks and a forced fumble in the 30 to nothing win against Wilkes. Wilkes was held to 66 yards of total offense. We have 11 conferences that still need to hand out bids. We've talked about a few of them and rapid fire style. Here are the other conferences with unclaimed Poulet bids along with the team in control. Centennial Conference, Muhlenberg is winning in in week 11. The Commonwealth Coast Conference, Endicott, is winning in. Uh, the Liberty League, Ithaca, is in if Union wins the shoes. RPI is in if RPI wins the shoes. MIAA, Albion, is winning in after their big win at Hope today. Mount, uh, Midwest, I, every time I see MWC, Pat, I say Mountain West Conference. It's the Midwest Conference. Lake Forest is winning in. Uh, the new Max Springfield is winning in after their uh, win tonight under the lights at MIT. In the pack, Carnegie Mellon is winning in in week 11. And that's all of them that we haven't talked about. We've got that Cortica Jug game to look ahead to next Saturday. That's on Cortland's campus between teams that are combined 17-1. and one. Ithaca needing this win to get in as an at-large or as Greg said perhaps getting the automatic bid anyway if Union beats RPI and then we also have Williams and Amherst we have Merchant Marina, Coast Guard, Hampton City and Randolph-Macon plus other more regional rivalries other regional rivalries such as Loris at Dubuque or Knox at Monmouth or Grove City at Teal, Carlton and McAllister, Pomona Pitzer at Claremont Mud Scripps, Bowden at Colby 
frankly, all the great rivalry games should be played in week 11. That is just all there is to it. But I saved one of them for Greg's next thought. The shoe is on the other foot in my alma mater's rivalry against DePauw. On a few occasions in the aughts and early tens, Wabash entered the Monon Bell game with a playoff spot clinched and had a perfect season unceremoniously spoiled by DePauw. This Saturday, it is DePauw that has already clinched a playoff spot while Wabash is certainly playing their final game this season. To be determined if Wabash can pay back one of those defeats, but I'm really excited to have this rivalry game and all of these great week 11 games back that have so much tradition for these schools to return after a year off. And we didn't mention Johns Hopkins at all as a possible at large, but have to think they at least would be in the mix somewhere. Uh, they play McDaniel on Saturday, and uh, if so, they would if they win that game, they would finish nine and one. But the strength of schedule right around 500, so they would be a uh, they'd probably be a bubble team at best. They would be a team that really, really, really wants St. Johns to win against Bethel on Saturday. And this was Around the Nation podcast number 293, released on November 8th of 2021. Thanks for listening and keep an eye on, oh God, lots of coverage coming up this week. Uh, you can support, support production of this podcast and the D3Sports.com family of websites in general by visiting us at patreon.com slash D3Sports. But even if you can't afford to support us financially, you can help us out by telling a friend, a classmate, a fellow alumnus about the show, and you can rate and review us in the various places where people do that thing. Did you know people rate and review podcasts? You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports, and you can join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. How meta. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is Power 2 by DJ Mentos. We use more of his tracks as well. You can find them at DJMentos.com as well as on Spotify. Thanks to Jeff McMartin. Thanks to Blaine Hawkins. And then thanks to Larry Hoppel and Joe Flaherty at Central. Thanks to Greg Thomas, my co-host. And thanks to the originator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com, Keith McMillan. And I'm going to go walk 600 miles, apparently. I'm excited. I'm excited to hear this. Re- the remix we are never letting that thing go plus isn't the 600 mile thing is only a uh, it's a pilot program right it's an anti-pilot program as it turns out i'm going to see the trophy oh yeah capital t capital t all right so it's in the it's in the news scroll somewhere if you go to the our pacific lutheran page it's in the pacific lutheran news scroll well, unveils the trophy. 97, 97 games, and they finally came up with the trophy. Yeah, I mean they were uh, they were not in a rush. The skyline in Mount Rainier, mounted on a base made out of old growth Douglas fir wood, a tree synonymous with the region and the Pacific Northwest. The base has nearly one hundred tree rings representing the long-standing rivalry between the two schools that began nearly one hundred years ago. Oh, there it is! Look at that thing. That is magnificent. You know, the way that they have that shot framed, it looks like it has the kicking net on the trophy. Coming out of it, right? It's part It's part of the trophy. It looks big. It looks like the base of that thing looks about the size of the lobster trap. A steel-crafted replica of Mount Rainier, though. That's kind of cool. It does look nice. A prominent landmark in the city that can be seen from both campuses. 
That's what the trophy should be named. It should be the Mount Rainier Cup or something like that, right? Yeah. There'll be a time to uh, to look at all this stuff and to reflect, but now's not the time. 